You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Amen. Let's turn for a short time this evening to uh, the book of Revelation, chapter 2, and we're going to look at the church in Smyrna, and I want to tie this in with what Caroline has been saying, and particularly to think about a subject that's not very pleasant, but about the subject of persecution. Uh, Revelation chapter 2, it's on page 1234, and it's verse 8. This is Jesus speaking, to the angel of the church in Smyrna, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He overcomes, will not be hurt at all by the second death. It is um, it's great to see some of the boys and girls here, and I'm going to ask you a question in about five minutes, so stay awake till then, okay? Um, but it's good to see you, really, really good to see you. This uh, Smyrna was a seaport, modern-day Izmir. It uh, was destroyed uh, 600 BC and rebuilt by Alexander the Great, and if you know the legend of the phoenix, the legendary bird which rises from the ashes, that comes out of Smyrna. It's a city of about the same size as Dundee in population, 35 miles north of Ephesus. Uh, it was famous for its, like Dundee, for its medical and science schools. Had a great big broad street, like Dundee, when we're going to have down at the, at the pier there, at the harbor, and a great open air theater, which we don't have yet. But the name Smyrna means bitter. And it was for the Christian church a very bitter place to be. There was considerable opposition. Now I want us to think about where we're at in our culture and society. We get Christians talking about persecution. We're not really persecuted compared in other situations. Caroline in, in Pakistan uh, for example, if uh, you're accused of blasphemy against Allah, you can, you can be killed. And there are people who want to kill you. Uh, we don't face that kind of threat. But I think it's right for us that to expect opposition. When things are going really, really well in a church or really well in a Christian's life, it's great being a Christian. But when things go wrong, when things are tough, when things are hard, that makes it much more difficult. And that's what this letter is addressed to. It's addressed to a Christian church that we're facing considerable uh, suffering. I know your afflictions and I know your poverty. This was the church that gets the shortest letter, but also the warmest praise from Jesus. Probably founded uh, by Paul uh, around the years A.D. 53 to 56, Acts 19.10. 
This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Now, this is the question I want to ask the children. Is anyone here uh, like, anyone here five years old? No, six, seven. Anyone seven years old? Eight? No, you're eight. Who's got an advance on that? Nine years old? Anyone nine? Nine? Any 10-year-olds? No, 10, 11? I'm not going to go all the way up to 84 or whatever it was I said this morning. 11, okay. Well, you're sitting in church tonight, and I'm going to tell you about a boy who was sitting in this church in Smyrna when the preacher was someone way, way better, way, way better known than somebody like me. The preacher would be, have been Paul. And that boy was, he might, he might have been as old as 15. We don't know. We, knew, we know that he was very young, uh, and his name was Polycarp, which is probably not a common name that, that you would know today. But around 86 years later, maybe, um, maybe even a bit more than that, Polycarp had become the leader of that church, and Polycarp was uh, killed. Now, this was after, well after this letter was written. So I want to um, read something of the martyrdom of Polycarp. And I'm going to read two letters. We're looking at three letters, really. Two letters to illustrate what Jesus said, both from this same place, uh, but at different periods. And the first is about the martyrdom of Polycarp. And for those of you who are interested, you can actually get this. You can go online and you can get it. Uh, And it's really fascinating reading. It's an amazing story. I actually, I, I think I remember hearing the story when I was a boy, or maybe that's just a, 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 a planting back, wishing I'd heard it when I was a boy, but I've always been fascinated by this story. I'm not going to read you the whole story because it would take too long. You can read it for yourself, and also some parts of it are, to be honest, quite legendary, um, but uh, let me just read you some of it. Upon this, the whole multitude, marveling at the nobility of mind displayed by the devout and godly race of Christians, cried out, away with the atheists. Now, first of all, isn't that interesting? Christians were called atheists. Away with the atheists, let Polycarp be sought out. But the most admirable Polycarp, when he first heard that he was sought for, was determined not to run away. So he decided to leave, and he because his friends persuaded him, and they went to a country house not far from the city. There he stayed with a few friends, and he prayed day and night for the churches throughout the world according to his usual custom. And while he was praying, a vision presented itself to him three days before he was taken, and the pillow under his head seemed to be on fire. So he said to them, uh, I must be burnt alive. And he was, he was taken, he was captured, uh, he was taken back uh, into the town. He was taken into the stadium, it was a big, huge uh, open air arena. Remember I said there was a broad street, uh, and he was taken in there and there was a big crowd. As he was entering the stadium, there came to him a voice from heaven saying, Be strong and show yourself a man, O Polycarp. No one saw who it was that spoke to him. But those of our brethren who were present heard the voice. As he was brought forward, the tumult became great when they heard that Polycarp was taken. 
And when he came near, the proconsul, that's the Roman governor, asked him whether he was Polycarp. On confessing that he was, the proconsul sought to persuade him to deny Christ, saying, I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, basically, you are an old man. Have respect to your old age and just swear by the fortune of Caesar. Repent and say, away with the atheists. But Polycarp, what he did was he looked round at all the people who were shouting and yelling and raised his hand and they were silent and he gestured at all of them and he said, away with the atheists, which wasn't quite what the proconsul had in mind. Then the proconsul urged him again, saying, swear and I will set you at liberty, reproach Christ. Polycarp declared, 86 years have I served him and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? Now it's, Polycarp may have been a hundred years old at that time, or, or maybe he was saying, I've served him from when I was a baby. But it was, it's, it was a wonderful statement to say, 80 and six years have I served Christ. Uh, wouldn't it be marvelous if there were some of us here who, if the Lord spares us and spares the world, that we're around in 50 years' time. I was going to say, this is why it only applies to the very young children 86 years. Most of us here are not going to make it 86 years uh, from now. So the proconsul then said to him, I have wild beasts at hand. I will throw you to these beasts unless you repent. But Polycarp said, well, call the beasts. I'm not going to repent of what is good in order to adopt that which is evil. Polycarp said, uh, the proconsul said, well, in that case, You'll be consumed by fire since you despise the wild beasts. Polycarp replied, you threaten me with fire which burns for an hour. And after a little while is extinguished, but you are ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. And then he looked and it says this, while he spoke this and many other things, he was filled with confidence and joy and his countenance was full of grace, so that it did, so that not merely did it fall as if troubled by the things said to him, but on the contrary, the proconsul was astonished and sent his herald to proclaim to the people, Polycarp says that he is a Christian. And uh, it goes on to record that the people shouted for him to be killed. This is the teacher of Asia, the father of the Christians, the overthrower of our gods. He who has been teaching many not to sacrifice or to worship the gods. And so they tried to burn him, and the story is that that didn't work for them. And then he was stabbed by uh, a sword, and then he was killed. And the story ends. Now the blessed Polycarp suffered martyrdom on the second day of the month Xanthius just begun, the seventh day before the calends of May on the great Sabbath at the eighth hour. He was taken by Herod, Philip the Tralian being high priest, Statius Quadratus being proconsul, but Jesus Christ being king forever, to whom be glory, honor, and majesty, and an everlasting throne from generation to generation. That's what he faced. That's what Jesus wrote about to the church in Smyrna. And he said, you are poor because you are oppressed, but you are rich. Why were they rich? Well, they won't face the second death. That's one thing that they are promised. As Polycarp noted, to die through human wrath is nothing compared to suffering the judgment of God. 
Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Polycarp and others were told, and this would have been taught in the church. Imagine that. Just imagine him as a small boy hearing this. Be faithful to the point of death. Be faithful to the point of death. And he was throughout his life, right up to the very end. Faithfulness in that situation is the important thing. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. If you are a Christian, you need to realize that you are going to face opposition. If you're not a Christian and you're thinking about becoming a Christian, you need to realize that as well. But that opposition isn't something that makes you run around and turn away. And it's not something that makes you hate. It's something that makes you focus and fix on Jesus and believe that what he said when he said that we are not to fear those who have the power of death over the body, but fear him who has the power to cast both body and soul into hell. Now, let me go to a a third letter. The first letter is the letter to Smyrna. The second letter is the letter of Polycarp or about Polycarp. And the third one is just from a letter that came in the year 2007 from Smyrna, from the church in Smyrna. And it's just a story. Again, I'm not going to tell you the whole story, but I'll tell you part of it. Um, This is the city, uh, the place where Jesus warned about these things. There was a German missionary called Tillman Geske, who on on April 18th, 2007, preparing to go to his office, kissed his wife goodbye, took a moment to hug his son, and gave him the priceless memory, goodbye, son, I love you. He rented uh, an office space uh, where there became the evangelist church office, it was called. And uh, in that area of town, there was a 35-year-old pastor, Turkish man called Nikati Adyan, father of two, who also said goodbye to his wife and left for the office as well. And another man called Ugar Uksal from Turkey made his way to the Bible study. None of them, says this letter, knew that what awaited them at the Bible study was the ultimate testing and application of their faith, which would conclude with their entrance into glory to receive their crown of righteousness from Christ and honor from all the saints awaiting them in the Lord's presence. Please remember this was occurring before ISIS as well. On the other side of that town, there were 10 young men, all aged under 20 years old, who had been encouraged to and decided to put the ultimate act of their faith out of love for Allah and hatred of infidels who they felt undermined Islam, they determined to kill these three men. I won't go into the details that are given in the letter, but they arrived in the Bible study around 10 o'clock and uh, then they captured these, boys captured these men, tied them to chairs and so on, videoed the whole thing on cell phones and eventually uh, killed them. Now the astonishing thing that happened is after that, you would expect the police and so on to be involved and they were and there was a great outrage, but at that time Christians were being persecuted 
Hidden cameras in churches were taking church service, service footage. Imagine if that was happening here. And used on Turkish television and by the state media to promote fear and antagonism towards Christianity. In a response to this attack, the Interior Ministry of Turkey, and that's a government minister, uh, the, the word that they used is grinsta, is Turkish, which was he smirked, said these Christians, as he spoke of the attacks on our brothers. And uh, one of the media comments was, one of the official comments was, we hope that you Christians have learned your lesson. We do not want Christians here. Now, the church in Turkey responded in such a way as hundreds of believers and pastors flew in as fast as they could to this small church and encouraged the believers and helped them. In the town, Susan Tillman wanted to bury her husband in this town, and the governor stopped it. And uh, when he found he wasn't allowed to stop it, they, uh, a rumor went round saying it's a sin to dig a grave for a Christian. And in the the end, men from a church near Tarsus, where Paul came from actually, grabbed shovels and they dug the grave in an Armenian graveyard. Nikati's funeral was a beautiful event. Like a glimpse of heaven, thousands of Turkish Christians and missionaries came to show their love for Christ and their honor for this man chosen to die for Christ. His wife said this at the funeral, his death was full of meaning because he died for Christ and he lived for Christ. Nikati was a gift from God. I feel honored that he was in my life. I feel crowned with honor. I want to be worthy of that honor. The funerals were photographed by anti-terrorism police because Christians were considered to be terrorists. Well, the most extraordinary event was Suzanne Tillman, the missionary's wife. Because in a television interview, she said this, I do not want revenge, revenge. Oh God, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Of course, repeating the words of Christ. Now, why is that extraordinary in our culture? But in Turkish culture, it's much more extraordinary because in Turkish culture, blood for blood revenge is normal. And many people were stunned by what her televised words showed. One columnist wrote this She said, in one sentence, what 1,000 missionaries in 1,000 years could never do. The church was closed down. The remaining 10 believers went into hiding. The uh, director, the governor of Smyrna, actually uh, said that all evangelical churches should be listed as uh, terrorist organizations. One of the Turkish pastors, Pastor Fikret Boek, Bosek said this, don't pray against persecution, pray for perseverance. The church wrote this, we are better having lost our brothers. The fruit in our lives, the renewed faith, the burning desire to spread the gospel, to quench more darkness, all these are not to be regretted. Pray that we stand strong against opposition and especially pray that we stand strong against internal struggles with sin, our true debilitating weakness. Well, that was reported. That letter was 2007. Last year, a new church opened in Smyrna. And we pray for our brothers and sisters who are there. They now face a worse situation at one level 
because the Turkish government has become more radically Islamic and they're facing ISIS and all the other things that are involved with that. Why do I say all of that and and read all of that just for you? Because I think it is extremely important that we as Christians here, although we may complain about the opposition and difficulty in our lives, and I'll say one more thing about that, we need to recognize that our Christian brothers and sisters in other parts of the world are facing death. It is for some extraordinarily difficult to meet and gather in worship. Now, some people might say, why why doesn't Jesus do something about it? This is the same issue here. Don't be afraid, he said, of what you are about to suffer. And I think that's because, as Tertullian, an African Christian, much later on, or a couple of hundred years later on, would say, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Sometimes it takes that kind of suffering to actually get people to listen. It's interesting that everyone talks about uh, the dangers from radical Islam and, uh, and how terrible all of that is. And it is. But what very few people know is that there are more Muslims who are becoming Christians today than has ever been the case And maybe that is uh, a fruit, or I think it certainly is a fruit of the suffering that many Christians undergo. And it's important for us that we are reminded to pray for the suffering church in different parts of the world. North Korea, Sudan, uh, but Turkey too. Turkey's meant to be one of the more moderate Muslim nations, but to be... Uh, in that society as a Christian is difficult. And Pakistan, pray for Pakistan. Pray for Pakistani believers and pray for the Pakistanis who've come to this country. We shouldn't have the attitude of of racists and the attitude of, of people who are afraid, but thank the Lord that we have an opportunity to communicate the gospel to Pakistanis in this country. Don't be afraid, says Jesus. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. I think that we have become quite weak as Christians. We we, we reckon this, and I think we're probably right. If we don't bother people, they won't bother us. People don't really care. We've got apathy rather than opposition. But... If we do bother people, and I don't mean by bother them, yell at them, hit them over the head with a Bible or placards or whatever. I mean just simply live such a life and speak in such a way that it challenges their sin and it challenges their hatred of God. I think when the church begins to do that, when we as Christians begin to do that, we will experience perhaps a more subtle Western form of persecution or discrimination. And maybe some of us already are. And it's horrible. You do not want to experience it. You do not look for it. But we are called to be faithful to Jesus Christ. 
I find it disturbing that sometimes there are missionaries who have gone from the West to Muslim countries and have said to Muslim believers, you don't have to be public about your faith. Keep it quiet. The insider movement, you can still be Muslims and and worship in the mosque. But you don't have to confess Jesus Christ. And what's disturbing about that is that there are many Muslims who've become Christians who find that so disheartening. Because they have suffered for Jesus and then these Western Christians come along and say, no, you don't need to suffer. And I think that's more a reflection of Western Christianity than it is of biblical Christianity. So, it is, um, it's not a call for us to go out and look to be attacked or look to, be, to suffer. None of us want to suffer. But the call to the church in Smyrna is a call to be faithful to whatever Jesus calls us to do. I uh, met a young man just uh, in his early teens who I thought was very brave because in his class at school, the teacher wrongly, and the teacher should not have done this, but the teacher wrongly asked, is anyone here believe in God? Because he was mocking God. And that boy just put his hand up. That took a lot of nerve to do that. And I encouraged him and, and, and thanked him for doing it. You've heard the story of uh, what went on in the United States this week where uh, a, a young man went into a, a school and um, possibly because of his interest in Satanism and Nazism and other things as well, whatever the reason, he uh, went in with a, a whole load of guns and he asked people in the class, what's your religion? And if they said that they were, said anything else, he shot them in the leg. If he said they were Christian, he shot them in the head. What a horrible, horrendous world at times we live in. The place, says Jesus, where Satan has his throne. Religious people persecuting as well. A synagogue of Satan, he says. Don't, but, but, says Jesus, don't be afraid. How can you not be afraid? Because of what is said in verse 8, these are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. Christians are to be fearless in this, not about ourselves and our own ability, but because we believe and trust in the one who died and came to life again. And whatever anyone else does to us, they will never stop our resurrection and they will never take away our faith. It's an absolute call for the church not to compromise, but for the church just to be faithful to Jesus Christ and to overcome the temptations to turn away from him. In whatever degree you as a Christian face these temptations, please be faithful for as many years as God gives you, even if it is 86 And let's make sure that we uphold and pray for our Christian brothers and sisters in Pakistan for whom this letter would have far more direct relevance than many of us think as we go home uh, in safety and come back to worship here in safety uh, next week. We can't be complacent. We can't ignore it. We suffer with those who suffer and we need to be faithful 
in prayer for the persecuted church. And, and as I said before, if, if you want to come and hear uh, what Stuart uh, has to say at the Solas conference, I think you'll benefit considerably from that as well. But may God bless his word to us and let's pray. Lord, you know the afflictions of your people and you know the poverty. We thank you that we are able to meet here in safety. We take it so for granted. We thank you that none of us here tonight will go home wondering about how we will get enough to eat. We have more than enough. We thank you, O Lord, for these things and help us not to take them for granted. We thank you that the troubles and the persecution that we face are so limited that we have been given the blessing of freedom. But we remember those of our brothers and sisters who do not have that. We think of those who have to go to church in Pakistan and have armed guards outside. We think of those, O oh Lord, the families of those uh, 10 young people who were killed uh, at that school in the United States. We think, our God, of those who have been attacked by ISIS and uh, others who want to force them to turn away from you. Lord, it's a, at times it's such a cruel world. But we bless you that you did come to defeat the darkness. We bless you that the light shines in the midst of the darkness. And even as Polycarp, and even as uh, that man Tillman, and others over the years have been prepared to give their lives for you, so also you have blessed their witness to the salvation of many, many souls. Lord, you have not called us to kill for you, but you have called us to live and die for you. And we pray that you would give us, in the small things, the courage to stand up for who you are and for your people. And we ask that you would help us to be diligent in upholding our brothers and sisters who face far greater dangers than we do. May your blessing be upon us and upon all your church. And we pray, O Lord, Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus. For we ask it in your name. Amen. We're going to finish by singing um, the song 10,000 Reasons. One of the interesting things, not just about the martyrdom of Polycarp, but if you read the martyrdom of the early church, is that um, so often well, there's one Roman governor who said, why is it that Christians go to their death singing? Uh, because they have uh, more than 10,000 reasons. And we conclude by singing of uh, God's greatness and goodness to us. The words will be up on the screen. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's stand and sing to his praise. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk 
For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of Solace, the Center for Public Christianity, at solace-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.